0: God made a fixed number of angels. We in heaven will be like the angels. We won't be angels. People say loosely, well, he is an angel now in heaven. No, he's not. Angels are angels. People are people. But we'll be like the angels and that we will not procreate. And so angels don't create little baby angels called cherubs. There's a fixed number.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogie. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Chapter 5 of the Revelation as we continue our study of this fascinating Scripture. And in verses 8 to 14, we see that prior to the opening of the seven-seal scroll that was introduced at the beginning of the chapter, among other things, there are myriad angels singing along with the church in heaven a new song. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy addresses how right it is given Christ's holiness, that he is worthy of this great song.
0: When you understand how good and how right it is, for the creature to praise the creator, for the redeemed to praise the redeemer, for the delivered to praise the deliverer, then you reach out in your heart to praise. And if your heart has no desire to do that, there's something wrong on the inside. You are either out of fellowship with God, your heart is a million miles away, or you've never met the living God. And heaven will not be a comfortable place for you. That's why lost people don't spend eternity in heaven. We on Sunday mornings very often has a, we have a foretaste of glory divine. So you get excited and it overflows and you're all clapping and you ought to and praise the Lord. You know, if your cup spills over, let it spill. But don't tip it over. Don't get too wild here. But, but if it spills over, that's okay. But there's a lot of new things in Scripture. You're going to be, sing a new song in heaven. You're going to be given, as we studied in the second and third chapters, a new name. We're going to live in the capital city called the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem will literally come down through a new heaven and sit on a brand new earth. And as Revelation 21.5 says, God says, I will make all things new. If you've been abused and mistreated, just know that someday God is going to make everything just. If you've been suffering and afflicted, God is going to make everything right. And if you are tired of this sinful, evil, sin-sick world, Someday God is going to obliterate every vestige of sin in this whole universe. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, underscore the you there. Who is the you? It is the Lamb. This hymn is given to the Lord Jesus. Now, put yourself in the context of someone living in 95 A.D. when they receive this book. Remember, it's written to seven churches Like all the books in the New Testament that are written typically for various churches, unless they are a general epistle, they're written for all time. But these seven churches whom we studied, we gave you seven one-hour sermons on them because they were so important. They were under persecution. The emperor Domitian was ruling, and Domitian demanded worship. And every time Domitian came into a room as recorded in secular history, what would they say? They would say, worthy are you, Domitian, worthy are you. But here these saints read that, and they say, this is not said to Domitian, but they are said to the Lord Jesus, to whom alone it can apply. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. Now, it's interesting to note how the worship has been brought up even to a higher level. In the fourth chapter, they're worshiping the Father for all that He created. But now they're worshiping the Lamb who was slain. And by the way, it's the same word that's used of the Father that's used of the Son. Because indeed, they are equal. You know, when a Jehovah's Witness shows up your door and he tries to convince you that he believes what you believe, and they use the same terminology, they just redefine words, you just ask him one simple question, do you worship Jesus? If they're honest, they'll say, no, we, we don't worship Jesus. Listen, to worship anyone than God is absolute blasphemy. You shall worship the Lord thy God in Him only. When Paul someone tried to worship him, he tore his robes. He said, don't worship me, I'm just a man. When they tried to worship Peter, he tore his robes. He said, don't worship me, I'm just a man. When Jesus is there in the garden, outside of that area where he was raised from the dead, and the two women come and they fall at his feet and they worship him, he receives that worship. And all of heaven is worshiping the Lamb upon the throne because to see Jesus is to see the Father. He is equal with the Father. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain. The word for slain is a particular Greek word that means death by utter violence, by great cruelty. And God had prophesied that that's how Messiah would die a thousand years before Jesus comes to the earth in Psalm 22, 700 years before Jesus incarnates Himself in Isaiah 53. He would be pierced through for our iniquity. He died a cruel, horrible death upon a tree, which reminds me, since God wrote about it centuries in advance, prophesied of it in the third chapter of Genesis, that the death of Jesus Christ was not accidental, but it was intentional. Jesus said, I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. But not only was his death intentional, it was redemptive according to this verse. Notice, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men. Anthropoi, men and women. The word purchase was used in John's day of a a man who would redeem or purchase a slave in order to set him free. And that's precisely what Messiah's death did. God purchased us out of the slave market of sin. He wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. He removed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And He has now given you a new life so that you can live a new lifestyle. And all of heaven just bursts forth in praise over the precious blood that was slain that we might be forgiven. It was intentional, it was redemptive, but notice also from this verse, it was universal. Let's read further. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The effects of the atonement is universal. I did not say universalism. There are groups that teach that in the end all will be saved. Evangelical presses recently put out a book, Love Wins. It was a bestseller for 10 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Rob Bell wrote it. Willow Creek Academy him in, gave him a standing ovation. He said, in the end, love wins. Everybody will be saved. No, Jesus said, broad is the gate, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are those that are on it. Not everyone will be saved. But please understand, this verse is not teaching universal salvation. False prophets teach that, but unfortunately, true Christians, whom you will meet in heaven someday, teach that Jesus didn't die for everyone, that he died only for the elect. They're called limited redemptionists. They believe in what we call a particular atonement. Sometimes they're called five-point Calvinists, and they're actually more Calvinistic than John Calvin himself was. John Calvin was a four-point Calvinist, not a five. In either case, if you listen carefully, they don't believe you can walk up to anyone and say, someone you've never met before, whom you know is a confirmed unbeliever by their fruit. They deny Jesus. They can't say to them, Jesus loves you and died for you. They don't believe they can say that to anyone. They'll use very carefully couched word, Jesus died and loves those who would repent and believe. In other words, they don't know whether or not Jesus died for you until you truly believe. And so, they're very careful in all of their wording. Listen, I want to tell you that He is going to save people from every realm Sinful people in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. When we came to the Lord's table last Wednesday night, if you were with us, we read 1 Peter 1. You were redeemed. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. Inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb. Spotless. The blood of Christ. First Peter 3.18 says, for Christ died for sins once for all. The just, that's Him. For us, the unjust. Who did Jesus die for? The unjust. My Bible says in the book of Genesis, the intent of man's heart is evil from its youth. Man's heart is not basically good. Don't say, well, he, he has basically a good heart. No, he doesn't. Not from God's perspective. Maybe, by the way, you measure things. But the way God measures things is different. God measures things from the realm of perfection. And He says man's heart is corrupt. It is intent from its youth on evil. That man's heart, as Jeremiah says, is desperately wicked. My Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. My Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if you have sinned, you are a sinner. And if you are a sinner, then you are a member of the unjust. And Jesus died for you, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Notice, they're redeemed from every tribe. That refers to families or or clans. Uh, And so when you go and you preach to some specific tribe that just seems as pagan and as lost as can be, you can go with authority because God promises people from every tribe will be saved. The redeemed are from every tongue. Whatever language of the world they may be speaking, God will save people from every tongue. The redeemed are from every people. That refers to every race in the world. And the redeemed are from every Ethnos, every nation, every ethnic body that's united by culture and by common tradition. Can you imagine? Think about John. He's on an aisle, island. He's on the Isle of Patmos, the Devil's Island, so to speak, an Alcatraz of sorts. Alcatraz. And he's there on that awful place. The church has been persecuted. All of his beloved fellow apostles are dead. He's the only one alive. And he has to wonder... Where is it all going to end? And God raptures him up into heaven. And he sees the glorious fruit of what he and those men started, where there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation there in glory. You know how encouraging that had to have been to him? Verse 10, you have made them, they're singing, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Three benefits that you as a Christian will experience someday. He made you to be a kingdom. Not a king, but a kingdom. We studied that in Daniel 7 and verse 27. The prophet Daniel said that someday that the kingdom would be given to the saints of the Most High. And if you are saved, you have royal blood in your veins this morning. You are a part of a kingdom. Secondly, God has made you to be priests. You are a part of a priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, there was just a select group of men, men only, that could be priests. And to be a priest, you had to be from a particular tribe, the tribe of Levi. And not only from the tribe of Levi, but from a particular family, the the family of Aaron. But no longer anyone can be a priest, anyone who knows Jesus as Savior. I grew up in a church where just certain people could be priests. But God's view of the priesthood is very, very different from the church I grew up in. I was told I had to go to my priest to deal with my sin. God tells me I am a priest, and that I can go directly to my Father through His Son, that you can go to the Lord Jesus with all of your sin, Listen, you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God has declared you to be a saint if you receive Jesus as Lord and you have direct access to the Father. And third, he tells us of a future promise that we will reign upon the earth. We will rule and reign with Christ. No wonder they have a new song. He made you to be a kingdom. I know the King James has kings and priests, and they're trying to communicate both concepts together, and I understand that. But he made you to be a kingdom, and you are priests within that kingdom. You are kingdom priests, so to speak. He has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father, as he says in Revelation 1-6. And at the end of the book, he says that as priests of God, we will reign with him for a thousand years years. This is exciting. They are excited. They are singing praise. That's the song of the creatures and the elders. Secondly, I'm almost done. Stay with me. I know it's just the second point, but I'm almost finished. The shout of the angelic host. Stay with me. Let's think about the shout of the angelic host, beginning now in verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now, did you notice how many there are singing? Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. It's the exact expression that we studied in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10. Let me remind you of that verse. Around the Ancient of Days, one of the designations given for the Father in that chapter, it says a river of fire was flowing And coming out before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Now, the Hebrew word, like the Greek word for myriad, is like the word tithe, it's a mathematical term. We use the term tithe loosely of any amount we give to God. A tithe biblically means literally 10%. Likewise, this word myriad is a mathematical term. It means 10,000. And so when the King James and the ESV rendered Daniel 7 with these words, they're right. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And of course, the number is even larger here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Those standing before Him, attending God, serving God, doing His bidding, are myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a big number. People asked me recently on the Bible line, a person called in, they said, do we know how many angels there are in the world? It was a good question. And the answer is, no, we don't. But we do know it's a fixed number, that God created a fixed number of angels never to create any more. We do know, as we'll see later on, that a third of the angels are now demons. They're fallen angels. But God made a fixed number of angels. We in heaven will be like the angels. We won't be angels People say loosely, well, he is an angel now in heaven. No, he's not. Angels are angels. People are people. But we'll be like the angels in that we will not procreate. And so angels don't create little baby angels called cherubs. There's a fixed number. But we know there are millions and millions of angels. If you just take 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million. And you add to that thousands of thousands, and these are just those who are in the throne room. Not those who are doing God's work around the universe. There are angels here this morning in the invisible realm that are watching the church worship. Jesus said that every child is assigned, assigned angels. Listen to this verse. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that there are angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Children don't have guardian angels as such, but they have angels plural, and if there's 1.9 billion children in the world, and they all have at least two angels, we're talking about a bunch of angels. The word myriad is the largest number that the Hebrews and the Greeks use. So basically, when they say myriad upon myriads, they're basically saying a number that is impossible to count. Notice now verse 12, with the redeemed church, they are saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now, they are saying, but I think they are singing. And so, I think the net Bible is correct when it says, "Uh, all of whom were singing in a loud voice. The word that is actually used there, legantes, in terms of uh, the structure in the Greek New Testament is amplifying the song. In other words, in essence, he's saying, here's the lyrics that they were saying. He's expanding the uh, verse here in the song. You say, can angels sing? Of course they can. Yes. Hark the herald angels song. right? (laughs) Uh, Now, we don't know, you know, uh, that they were singing there, uh, you know, on, on the incarnation. Probably were. But we do know angels can sing. In Job 38, at the creation of the world, the morning stars, one of the terms, designations given for angels, the morning stars sung, and all the b'nai Elohim, the sons of God, shouted for joy. It's a Hebrew parallelism, two terms used to describe angels, the sons of God and the morning stars. They sang, Job tells us, the creation of the world. And notice what they're saying with the church. Worthy is a lamb that was slain. I reminded you last time that there's only one thing man made in heaven. That's the scars of the Lord Jesus. We sang it a few months ago. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. You will see the nail scars of Jesus in heaven. It will be a constant reminder of the price of your redemption. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven attributes. You're worthy to receive power because Jesus is, as 1 Corinthians says, the power of God. You're worthy to receive riches. We speak of the unfathomable riches of Christ. He is worthy, the Lamb, to receive wisdom because Jeremiah and Isaiah say that the Messiah is the embodiment of wisdom. He is worthy to receive glory. In fact, God tells us that the Lord, or might, and that He is powerful, and someday He will come in great might. Same word, dealing out retribution. All seven attributes are found elsewhere in the New Testament. We've got to finish. Let me conclude with the saying, not the song, but the saying of the whole creation. The saying of the whole creation. Beyond the song of the creatures and the shout of the angels, which is really a song, there is a saying of the whole creation. Verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Now this third group acknowledges both him who sits upon the throne and the lamb who is standing at his right side. And they are attributing to both worship and praise. And if you remember from verse six to the Holy Spirit as well, this is a tri-unity picture here. Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in it. Now grammatically and contextually, it does not appear that this group is singing, they are just speaking, and rightly so. Because those who are on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and in the sea, would comprise both believers and unbelievers. But they will affirm these very truths. Paul reminds us of that. He quotes the same passage from Isaiah in Philippians 3, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and onto the earth. Because the Lord Jesus was willing to come and to be slain. He has been given the dignity of above all dignities, the rank above all ranks, he is the king above all kings, he is the Lord above all lords, the same title given to the Father is also given to the Son, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those who are in heaven, all of God's holy angels, all the believers from the Old Testament realm, all the believers from the church age, all the tribulation saints will confess that truth. Those who are on the earth, both believers and unbelievers alike, John adds, and those on the sea, He will be marveled at, the Scripture says, amongst those who have believed, but those who are not believers will also acknowledge His Lordship. Even those under the earth, an expression that we studied in our exposition of Philippians, that pictures that place below that lost people spend in eternity. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, while God allows you the right today to confess Jesus freely as an expression of your own will, He will not give you that right in eternity future. If you do not know Jesus is your Savior, you will have no choice Before he forever assigns you into a place of judgment to say, Jesus is Lord. Every human, every tongue, every person will give him the praise that is due. Those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, those who are in hell, even Satan himself will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now you can ignore him, you can use his name in vain. You can blaspheme Him, you can downright reject Him, but you will confess Him, every person will, and He will receive His rightful place before all that has been made. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen, 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 amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped." Father, I thank You today for Your Word. Help us not to be flippant with it. Help us to pay careful attention to all that it says. Help us to gird up our minds for action that we might reject that which is false and embrace that which is true. Father, we live in a day when Your Word is mocked and laughed at, rationalized, where its truth is taken away, but thank You that everything You said You will do. Thank You that we are still in an age of grace where men and women and boys and girls can call upon Jesus in faith. Thank You that He died for all, that anyone can come and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Help someone today, Father, to do that. In simple, childlike faith, knowing that Jesus completely paid their debt, help them to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all that we are. Thank you for this picture of what you tell us someday we will be doing in heaven. But while we are here on the earth, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to invest in the things that truly matter Father, how fragile this life is. You said our life is like a vapor that appears for a moment and is gone. And soon the years turn into decades and our life has ended. Help us, our Father, to invest in the things that really matter, to set our mind on the things that are above and not the things that are upon the earth. Help us to invest in the lives of men and women and boys and girls help us to help others to know Jesus is Lord and help us to live every breath for him and for his honor and glory and we ask it in his holy name amen
1: to listen again to today's message the song before the seals use the search the scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org you can also order a cd or dvd by calling 877 877- and requesting program REV13. Search the Scriptures is committed to sharing the hope of salvation found only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you can help us in this ministry, please use the Search the Scriptures app or go online at searchthescriptures.org to make either a one-time gift or to come alongside Search the Scriptures on a regular basis. You can also call 877-787-7478 and ask about becoming a foundation partner. Tomorrow we move into chapter 6 of Revelation and begin a look at the white horse of deception. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.